Now it's time for Radio Church on 4CRM, presented this week by Pastor Jeff Grant from the Uniting Church in Serena. Jeff has chosen Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, by Audrey Assad to begin the service today. Church. Welcome to Radio Church on 4 Sowering Mackay, 107.5 FM. Dear ones, God loves us and wants us to enjoy an abundant life. But because of our sin, all mankind is initially cut off from holy God. So there is a price to be paid in order for mankind to be reconciled to God. And Jesus Christ, God's Son, paid that price. And through faith in His life and His death, and his resurrection, he offers us a new life of serenity, of service, and sacrifice. 
I'd like to start with a short prayer. We worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are God Almighty, and we thank you earnestly for all you are and all you've done in us and for us. We've come together in this radio church service to worship you, Lord. So may your Holy Spirit open our hearts and our minds to your word and draw us closer in our relationship with you in the precious name of Jesus. Dear ones, the Holy Bible says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen. And now let's hear from Graham Kendrick. Lead me to the cross of Jesus.
my favorite songs, Lead Me to the Cross of Jesus. You're listening to Radio Church on 4CRM Mackay, 107.5 FM. Jeff Grant here, and today's message I've called The Disciple Servanthood. And I've taken the outline from a book by J. Oswald Sanders, Spiritual Discipleship. And I've been sharing with, uh, with you over the last few sessions from this lovely book. So our message I've entitled uh, The Disciples Servanthood. Our Lord Jesus spoke often of servanthood, didn't he? To his disciples. He demonstrated servanthood and he taught servanthood to them and he was a perfect example of a servant among them. And we, we are, you and I are all obligated and committed to live in the attitude of servants to one another. However, I've got to say, living in servanthood is against the human spirit. It just goes against the grain. You and I would ra uh, much rather be served than to serve. Uh, because servanthood requires a humbling and a submissive spirit. And not only to God, but to the people around us. So we're going to look at what a disciple's servant looks like. First of all, the first point I've called Israel the failed servant. I'm going to read from... Uh, for you from Isaiah 41. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners I called you, and I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you, and I have not rejected you. Well, God selected Israel from among the nations to represent him. And as Jesus pointed out to in the New Testament, to be a light among the godless nations of the world. But Israel, the chosen people, failed God at every turn. God called them here, my chosen ones. He brought them out of Egypt, the land of, the land of slavery, and he brought them into Canaan, the land of plenty and service. And he intended Israel to be a godly nation and, as I've said, a light to the Gentile nations. But these people, they grumbled, they complained every step of the way on the way to, on the journey to Canaan. And when they reached there, and even before, they repeatedly fell into idolatry. And it was so quick when things went wrong for them. In the end, after centuries of neglect and self-interest and disobedience and rebellion, they lived far more wicked lives than even than the pagans that God had evicted from the Holy Land. They made the name of God a curse among the very nations to whom they were sent to proclaim his glory. What a tragedy. Because they cared much more about their own needs, their own pleasures, than, than welcoming strangers and the needy, and caring for one another in both righteousness and justice, the two expressions of God we read about in the Old Testament, righteousness and justice. God sent his prophets at the worst stages of, the, of their idolatry and their disobedience, but they were ignored and persecuted and killed. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus told many parables against the rejection by Israel of God's purposes and their call. And, of course, he told them against, uh, against their rejection of him. And one of the examples is in uh, Matthew's Gospel, um, the story of the servants in the vineyard. Uh, we find this in Matthew 21. I'll read it to you. Jesus is talking. Listen to another parable, he says. 
There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? This is the, the words of Jesus. And he's, he's telling the Jews of that New Testament era that they were no different to all their ancestors who were called by God to be servants and yet rejected that. And Jesus had to send other servants to them, to those who were supposed to be servants. And they rejected the very ones that Jesus sent. Dear ones, we have to look at our own hearts and our own lives and ask the question, do I have the heart of a servant? And not like Old Testament Israel, even the New Testament Jews, who claimed to be God's people, but didn't have the heart of a servant. Let's pause for a moment and listen to Fernando Ortega as he sings for us, I need thee every hour. Lord, no. 
Jeff Grant here. I'm sharing with you a message I've called Discipleship Servanthood. And we just heard the first part of that about Israel, the failed servant. Now we're going to look at some examples of God's servants in the New Testament. Timothy and Epaphroditus, servants of Christ. Now first of all, I'll read you about Timothy from Philippians chapter 2. And we'll start at verse 19. Paul is writing, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Now, Timothy had been a young man when Paul first met him. His father had been a Greek. His mother was, was Jewish. And so uh, Paul took Timothy uh, with him on his journeys. And the first thing he did was he, he had Timothy circumcised. So that he wouldn't be a stumbling block, he wouldn't get in the way. And mind you, that's quite a sacrifice for a young man to make. It's normally done to a child uh, in the first uh, week of life. That was the Hebrew and Jewish custom. So Timothy started off by, by being very sacrificial in his servant service for Paul and for, and for the Lord Jesus. And Paul says here, there's none like him. None like him. He's, he's exceptional. He's He's exemplary. He's, he's spectacular in his wonderful love and servanthood for me and for the Lord Jesus. And because he has a genuine concern for your welfare. It's not, it's not, not a fraud. He's not false. He's not after your money. He simply wants to take care of you. He wants to do all he can to bless you, to help you grow in your faith in the Lord. He cares about other people. And he looks out for the interests of Christ, not his own interests. The most common interests of young men is cars, cash, and cuties. And Timothy was none of those. His interest was in serving Paul and serving the Lord. He served in the gospel, in fact, Paul goes on to say. His main focus was reaching lost people. And, and then Paul says, he's a faithful messenger. I'll send him to you, and I know he'll bring back a good message from you. He's absolutely dependable. There's no one else I trust exactly the way I trust him. When I ask him to do something, I know it'll be done. How wonderful. But that is a typical example of a servant devoted to their master. And now Paul talks about a second one, the fellow named Epaphroditus. I'll read it from Philippians 2, starting at verse 25. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you, and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. 
He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. What a man. Epaphroditus, Paul says, he's my brother, he's my co-worker, he's my fellow soldier. What a, what a, uh, a beautiful word pictures these are. We have this uh, close working relationship. He's, he's more like a brother than a, fe a fellow servant, like a, a, a fellow employee. He's, he's, we, we have such a wonderful relationship of trust and caring. But he's also a co-worker. He, he carries his load. He does his job. He does what he's expected to do. He looks after me. And he's a fellow soldier. And that's a term of great honour. For a soldier is one, uh, as Paul pointed elsewhere, who wants to serve his commanding officer. And that's, that's a classic description of this man, Epaphroditus. My brother, my co-worker, my fellow soldier. How many people do you know who are like that? But let's go on. He's also a team player. They sent him, they picked him out of other people who could have gone to send him all the way, uh, hundreds if not thousands of miles, to look after Paul who was in prison, to take him food, to care for him, uh, to, to send him, to take messages, and to do whatever Paul needed. This Epaphroditus was other-focused. Paul writes here, that he longs for you. He was worried about you because you heard he was sick. Actually, he nearly died. He wasn't worried about himself. He was worried about you worrying about him. He was distressed for them, actually. And because Paul says he almost died for the work of Christ, which was his life priority. His life priority was serving Jesus Christ. He, and he risked his life to provide what they could not. What a man. What an example. Oh, I wish we had lots and lots of Timothys and Epaphroditus in our churches today. Now, I'd like to read you something uh, from Luke 22, how Jesus described servanthood. A dispute arose among the disciples as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And Jesus said to them, you know, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, like those who exercise authority. Uh, they call themselves benefactors because they, they dominate you. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one who is at the table. Is it not the one who is at the table, he said. But I am among you as one who serves. And so the Lord Jesus challenged his disciples to follow his own example and live the life of a servant. He, uh, he washed their feet, which is the, the job of the lowliest servant in the house. It wasn't fun to wash people's feet after they'd been walking on the road. They were covered with dirt and unmentionable things. But that's the nature of a servant. We'll pause for a moment and we'll hear uh, from Hillsong as they are going to sing for us, Here I Am to Worship.
Jeff Grant again, and I'm sharing the third point in my uh, message I've called the discipleship's servanthood. We've looked at the model of uh, Israel, who were, who were failed servants. We looked at the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus, and now, of course, the supreme example, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to read about him from Isaiah 42, the first four verses. The words of God. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teachings, the islands will put their hope. Christ, the promised Messiah, rendered the perfect devotion and service that Israel failed to give, and he met the highest ideals of both his father and of mankind. And Isaiah depicts the ideal servant 800 years before the birth of Christ, the ideal servant of Jehovah and the qualities he will display, first in service and then in suffering. Now, the Lord Jesus was manifesting in time, those 30-odd years he had on the earth, uh, he was manifesting what he'd always been in eternity. He'd always been a servant. His master principle of service is that the highest honour lies in the lowliest service. That was Jesus' uh, master principle. He was showing us, you and me, that the whole life of God is spent in the service of humanity. There's no one perpetually available as God is. He rules all because he serves all. In the world, the term servant has a most lowly connotational meaning. But Jesus equated servanthood with greatness. And he never meant his three disciples to merely perform acts of service. He had in mind the very spirit of servanthood. So he doesn't, doesn't want you and I just to uh, do the acts of service but grumble inwardly. He wants us to have a heart, the, the ideals of a servant. Now in his lovely book, Spiritual Discipleship, J. Oswald Sanders lists... Um, six um, criteria of Jesus' service. First of all, um, dependence. We're reading from Isaiah 42. Jesus chose to depend on his Father for both his words and his works. He often said to people, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And I only speak, and I only act, and I only do what the Father has directed me to do. Jesus was the most servant-minded person who ever lived. He was dependent on the Father. Also, uh, another principle is, is acceptance. It says here, God says, I've chosen him and I delight in him. So Jesus knew that he, he was loved and valued beyond compare. And all of God's servants can have, have that attitude that God loves me. And that's why I can serve uh, for him, for his sake. And then it says here, he was not loud or screaming. He will not shout or cry out. That's self-effacement. He was modest. You know, I don't know about you, but over the last 40 or 50 years, I've, I've heard lots of preachers. And uh, 
I've heard lots of preachers on the radio and on television and, and more recently on podcasts and so forth. And you're listening to one right now. And some of them are loud and screaming. But not the Lord Jesus Christ. He was not someone like that. Another thing we read here in verse 3 is his, his empathy. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smouldering wick he will not stuff out. He, he was connecting with the downtrodden the weak, the failures, and the erring, the sinners of this world. And he was gentle among them and kind-hearted the way he spoke to them. He didn't look down on anybody. And the only people he had trouble with was, were the self-righteous and the ones who, who made uh, their own laws more important than God's laws. And then he was full of optimism. He was not disheartened or crushed. And that's exactly the same words in the original language as... Uh, bruised and stuff out so so when Isaiah wrote this he was he was using the words to uh, emphasize the fact that um, Jesus wasn't upset distressed by the things he saw he just carried on as a servant and finally in verse 1 it says I will put my spirit on him he was anointed as a servant do you know that God has anointed every one of us you and I to be his servants to be his disciples, to be his ministers, to be his witnesses, to be to bear testimony to what he's done in our life, to tell other people who were lost uh, and downtrodden or weak and failing and erring. That's the role God has given us. And that's the role the Lord Jesus took for himself. Beloved, we're all called to be ministers and priests of God. Worship to God and service to man. And to mediate the light of the gospel and to rescue the captive from the prison of sin. Isaiah says that in a couple of verses, a couple of words later. That's why Jesus came to rescue captives from the prison of sin. But the servant's supreme responsibility is always to bring glory to God. Dear ones, I hope this message has been a challenge and encouragement to you. Look for examples of servanthood among the people you know. And if you can't see those examples, then with all the power of God in your life, you be an example of a servant to them. We'll close for the time being with a couple of songs. First of all, from the choir of Westminster Abbey, and then from Robin Mark as they sing for us.
Radio Church on Force Hour and presented by Pastor Jeff Grant from the Uniting Church at Serena.
Jeff Grant here. This ends our Radio Church broadcast on Radio 4CRM Mackay 107.5 FM. And I'll close, as is my habit, with a Jude 24 doxology. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Saviour, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Beloved, until we meet again, we close now with a final song of praise from Carrie Underwood as she sings for us, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
Kerry Underwood wrapping up 4CRM's Radio Church for this week. Next week's service presented by the Reverend John McKim representing the Anglican Churches.